It was a very humble beginning for me with local. We started at a farmer's market table about 11 years ago now. And it was about four years ago that through the journey of, of scaling the brand and partnership with some social enterprise bakeries, we recognized the opportunity to take the brand to a national level. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises, hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? you may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. Made with Local started its journey by bringing homemade granola bars to a small farmer's market table in Halifax in 2012. It has since grown to become a certified B Corp snack company, now available at over 3,000 locations across Canada and the US with an annual turnover of over $3.5 million. Throughout their growth, they have remained dedicated to using ethically, transparently sourced ingredients and strengthening the local communities. In this episode, we'll be learning with you as we chat with founder and CEO, Sheena Russell. Now, full disclosure, Sheena is a member of the Just Good Business board alongside Anujanai. She's also a force of nature. Living in Dartmouth with her husband, Andrew, and their two kids, Sheena has led Made With Local for over a decade, winning provincial and national awards and recognition, most recently being the first ever member chosen from Atlantic Canada for the Ernst & Young Winning Women program. Wow. All right, let's dive right in. Oh my goodness, how exciting is this? We are joined by a local Atlantic Canadian, dare I say, Canadian celebrity entrepreneur of the social nature. Um, Sheena, it's great to have you here. Cannot wait to launch into conversation. So without further ado, I'll just give you an opportunity to jump right in and say, Sheena, can you please, please, please tell us the Made With Local origin story? What's your Avengers We Began Here story? Okay. Well, thanks, Matt. And thanks, Anuj, for having me. This business started as, I would say, not very Avengery, <laughs> in a very Avengery sort of way. It was a very humble beginning for me with local. Uh, we started at a farmer's market table here in Halifax about 11 years ago now. And honestly, at that time, when we just got started, I thought of this business essentially as just a hobby, side hustle, something that was kind of stoking my creative fire um, through food and through my passion for local food systems and sustainability and delicious snacks. So it was kind of an experiment, uh, I would say, in the early days. But as somebody who never imagined themselves being an entrepreneur or getting into business, um, it, it took me a long time to come to grips with that idea and like accept the fact that, yeah, like this is this is how businesses begin and that I am an entrepreneur and to, you know, take that more seriously and, and, and imagine and dream bigger for the brand. 
I think that there's, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't quote the Avengers anymore because I haven't delved deep into that series, but I think that there's a lot of humility that starts at any superhero story. Um, Sheena. So what about now? Would it be safe to say that you can uh, only find made with local products at your local farmer's market? Is that where I have to go or what, what about now? No. Right. So we've grown beyond those farmer's market table days. Um, You know, back then we were sourcing our ingredients from local farmers and food producers and creating these really delicious and nourishing real food bars is what we call them. And um, it took off and we started launching into local retailers and then regional retailers like Sobeys and Loblaws and Pete's and, you know, the Atlantic Canadian names that we all know and and have as our grocery stores. And it was about four years ago that we, um, through the journey of, of scaling the brand in partnership with some social enterprise bakeries uh, here in Eastern Canada, we recognized the opportunity to take the brand to a national level. So even through that journey, though, through you know us making it ourselves and sourcing from farmers and then partnering with a social enterprise bakery, um, that, that commitment to local food and creating community impact we doubled down on it uh, through our growth and, and didn't really stray from it. Like um, some people told me we would, or we would have to, if we wanted to grow. So we've been able to make it to uh, here in 2023, where we're available in over 3000 grocery stores all across Canada, like Costco and Loblaws and Sobeys and many other big names. You said so many interesting things in, in there. And I, and I, I want to circle back at some point in this conversation to bucking the trend of advisors telling you to do is do away with any kind of social impact or striving for social impact in your growth. And I feel like now you're kind of in a position where you can kind of be like, look at me now. But there is a sense of self-awareness, self-confidence um, that comes with those types of decisions and really being able to lean into your values and your vision, along with any of the other uh, challenges that come with entrepreneurship. So what about you, your story? What about you personally, Sheena? How did you get started and how would you kind of um, suggest the trajectory of your entrepreneurial journey has gone? So I'm a born and raised PEI farm kid. Um, I would never in especially in my childhood or like early adult days, um, call myself confident. That was probably not an adjective that I would use to describe myself. But I will say one thing that I always have been is like convicted in my values, even as a little kid. Like I remember like writing like letters to the editor of my community newspaper when I thought that they were, you know, giving too much, um, you know, airtime to things in society that I didn't agree with. And my mom still has those newspapers, but a little, you know, eco justice warrior kind of kiddo. Um, and, and I took that, uh, passion and applied that in studies at Dalhousie, um, university where I got a degree in environmental sciences with a major in ecology. And then I thought I was going to be doing field work, you know, helping the planet and, um, that just was always the picture for me, right? So it definitely, like I mentioned, the the world of entrepreneurship was never on my radar whatsoever. But the thing that I think that opened me up to a facet of entrepreneurship that I really enjoy and to this day I'm very um, 
you know, inspired by is the idea of building a brand and storytelling. So (laughs) this is kind of funny. Back in like 2011, I had like jumped on the food blogger bandwagon and uh, started my own little food blog where I was like creating recipes and posting about them and doing the photography and sharing the recipes in a witty way on social media. And I feel like it just kind of helped me Uh, cut my teeth a little bit and what that feels like on the internet to tell stories about food. So I think, again, as much as I had no idea what was happening when I was putting together this silly little food blog, I really think it was an important seed that was planted in that time to allow me to build that confidence to say, hey, I could do this about, you know, a food that I wasn't just making for myself, but also for others. And uh, yeah, so that was that's that's a, a high level journey for me. Well, if there's one thing that this podcast can do is if we have any converts onto the Made with Local Wan Bagan, um, uh, come one, come all, there's room for everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Made with Local is mm-hmm. a B Corp. It's just not an enterprise. It is, uh, we believe, also a social enterprise. Help us learn the social side of your enterprise. How do you walk that find balance between a bottom line and the social good that you intentionally wish to achieve? And how do you measure your success internally? Our model has shifted over the years. I would say I'm pretty proud of the journey that we've had because we went from, you know, me making bars at my friend's cafe after hours but and sourcing our ingredients from local farmers and food producers Um, In 2014, we started working with our first social enterprise bakery um, to do our manufacturing for us. And that's an amazing organization here in Nova Scotia called the Flower Cart Group that employs adults living with barriers to the mainstream workforce through a food manufacturing kitchen uh, program. So for many, many years, they made every single made with local bar that was going out to Sobeys, to Loblaws. And, and continuing to use those local ingredients that many of them were sourced within, you know, dozens of kilometers from our bakery. And this journey for us really helped us understand, you know, what it means to be an impact driven business. And I guess the power that businesses have to use their dollars and put them to work in the community. And so that was that was the model of growth for us between 2014 to 2022. So many years, uh, that's that was the model. Um, and then in 2022, we had an opportunity to purchase the bakery of one of our ingredient suppliers. Um, we used to source our peanut butter and almond butter from a little family-owned business in Windsor, Nova Scotia. That they had a bakery plus a little peanut butter factory in this beautiful building in downtown Windsor, and they were ready to retire. So they asked us if we wanted to buy their building from them. And and up until that point, you know, I was very firm that the co- kind of we in the food world we call it co-packing, so outsourcing your manuf- manufacturing model was what um, our our future was. But ultimately. You know, we were growing at such a rate that our social enterprise partners were um, having a hard time keeping up. Um, and that's just the nature of, you know, I think people loving the product so much that they were making for us and a testament to all the good work that we were doing together. So we ultimately um, graduated on from that partnership with the Flower Cart Group uh, last year and then settled into our very own manufacturing facility in Windsor, which has allowed us to keep up with growth while 
staying rooted in a small town here in Nova Scotia, creating really strong jobs here in rural Nova Scotia, um, which we're really proud of, and continuing to grow in partnership with those farmers and food producers that have been supplying us with those ingredients and and uh, taking them along with us on this growth journey. Because the more you know, honey or oats or blueberries that need to go into bars for retailers, the more we get to buy from them. So the ripple effect um, really does reach you know well beyond uh, our little bakery. Uh, you have aligned or even meshed the social and uh, bottom line purposes. Help us learn uh, some numbers around your business. Um, how did you find the investments? One of the big challenges of social enterprises is to find investments. Like you said, mm-hmm. uh, buying that building uh, that was on offer. How have you managed investments? Give us some business numbers in terms of revenue and, 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 and how do you manage uh, those side of things? Yeah, so we just finished our fiscal at the end of July. So July 31st was the end of our year and we were about three and a half million dollars in revenue um, in the last year and already charting. We're planning on 100% year over year growth in this coming year. We have raised some capital in the equity side and that has largely come from angels, you know, family and friends and then some strategically aligned angels. This climate right now in terms of venture or, um, you know, institutional capital is just not really conducive to, you know, the terms are not conducive to the type of vision that we have, the rate that we're growing. It's just, you know, we've been really picky about the kind of conversations that we've been having in that space. And yeah, and the conditions for it are just really tricky. So we've not taken any um, like VC or major institutional capital. We have been able to work with some super values aligned partners, though, um, here locally in Nova Scotia. So uh, the CBDC, it's a rural business development banking group. They have been incredible to work with. We love the CBDC. Our our region um, that we're in is West Hance here in Nova Scotia, and they've been super supportive. Farm Credit Canada has been a huge supporter of ours, helped us fund the purchase and renovation of our building. And another super local one here in Nova Scotia is one of my favorite groups of people ever, um, Farmworks. So they're a community economic development investment fund, or CDIF as they are known. And they are just powerhouses of funding agriculturally focused businesses here in Nova Scotia, whether it be through, you know, a manufacturing business like mine or restaurants, farmers themselves. They're just like literally the champions of local food here in Nova Scotia. So those have been some of the unconventional, I will say, partners that we've been able to capitalize ourselves uh, in partnership with. And we feel really grateful to have them on our team. So what we are hearing is that our investment climate in our province for social enterprises uh, is quite vibrant. Will Mm -hmm. that be a fair conclusion to make? I think so. You know, we, at the time that we started looking to, you know, cash up, so to speak, was in advance of, or around the time that we needed to purchase and renovate this building and then grow the, grow the company to hit scale there. Um, we were about 10 years in to the business at that point. So we weren't brand new. Um, and we had shown, you know, that the business model is profitable when done correctly. And that's what we're doing. I think that there are some really great partners. I can speak specifically to the food space here in Nova Scotia, where there's some really great partners for us to align with. ECOA, for example, they've been really supportive of ours as well. But as is the case, you know, without it being as a, a truly impact-driven fund like what you'll see, you know, nationally or internationally, they're looking at the business model first, but also, you know, holistically with the economic spinoff in Nova Scotia, whether it be through jobs or agriculture inputs. 
um, what have you. So it's definitely a consideration. I bet many of our listeners are getting inspired right now. <laughs> First of all, congratulations on the building. Congratulations on growth. Congratulations on that balance and staying true to yourself in, in that way. As entrepreneurs, uh, sometimes we can find ourselves in a situation where we where we love to talk about the successes, but that's one of the, one of the one of the the issues with that is that it's definitely not all successes. Now, maybe that's just me. Maybe maybe that's just coming from me. But I'd be curious to know on your end, Sheena, if there are any kind of you know challenges that stand out to you over the course of the last decade or so that you've had to overcome as a social entrepreneur, as a socially conscious business, as a B Corp. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. We've had tons of missteps and mishaps. <laughs> and that's just like par for the course, I think. To a particular standout, one thing that we attempted to do, I would say it's about four years ago now, because I remember when we were in the middle of this fiasco, I had just had a baby and my baby just turned four. So about four years ago, we purchased uh, a pretty highfalutin, expensive piece of equipment that we received some funding from the Farmworks and the ECOAs and these really wonderful supportive partners to help us automate our packaging because the process of packaging our bars is pretty tedious. So we purchased this uh, piece of equipment called a flow wrapper and pretty quickly realized that it was a beast and a very technical beast at that. And the manufacturing facility that we were partnering with at the time, not the flower cart group, but an additional one to them was having a lot of trouble getting it up and running and keeping it running and making it efficient and keeping it clean. And it was just like, we had gotten in over our heads and, but we had spent a hundred thousand dollars on this piece of equipment. Right. So we're like, Oh my God, we have to get this thing to work. But ultimately, you know, we did end up putting it in storage and, uh, you know, it sat there for four years. It's now at our bakery and we're in the process of getting it ramped back up again. But what in that moment, you know, it was a miscalculation of understanding what we needed to have in terms of in-house resources and expertise to keep this pretty technical piece of equipment up and running. And it was a fail, a big fat fail and an expensive kind of fail at that. So that's one big one. And and the second one is a bit more I don't know. It was a bit, I, I see it as like a, a blessing and a curse sort of, but I wouldn't say this is a fail, but there were lots of times where we, I think like purposefully slowed down um, our, our growth in the business and with, with hiccups, like we saw with the flat, with the um, flow wrapper and other things, we learned a lot of lessons the hard way, I would say in those sort of mid range years, but what can you do? I feel like we were so much wiser for it now. And it's it's all you can do to kind of navigate those lumps and bumps. And now I feel like one thing I'm quite good at is mentoring young entrepreneurs to teach them all the things that they shouldn't be paying attention to or they shouldn't do in their kind of early years journeys. What's the Sparknotes version of that class? If I if I were to sit in on one class and have two key takeaways mm. um, as a young entrepreneur, um, what are things that you might have done differently? I mean, it's really boring, but like laser focusing on your margins and being really mindful of waste. Like that was one thing that we at a certain era in the business where we were running two different manufacturing facilities. One was here and one was in Ontario and there was just so much waste and we had a really hard time keeping tabs on the amount of waste. So we were kind of hemorrhaging ultimately money 
for a couple of years because, you know, we didn't have a sight line as well as we needed to, to be able to manage that side of things. So, you know, being lean and mean, I think that that is a really good takeaway. And there's lots of ways that we've always been lean and mean. And, but then there was other ways where it was harder for us to stay really lean and disciplined, like on the manufacturing side, when we had um, outside partners versus in, in, you know, doing it ourselves now, that would be one for sure. And I don't know. I I'm like somebody who I think like to a fault, I'm a bit of an optimist slash I'm also fairly not risk averse. So I think those com those combining factors, you know, I'm like, I, I can just see the vision and I don't let things that aren't going to ultimately matter someday kind of slow me down too much. So I guess resilience, build your resilience. That would be another big piece through uh, practices like you know, self-care practices like meditation, like having mentorship and a community around you, find those practices and those things that you can do in your daily life to build resilience. And that will take you a long way. Mm, support you on the way as you as you continue to kind of curate and, and work towards that vision with the ever increasing laser focus through all that kind of uh, self, self-care and self-practice. Would you be able to relatively succinctly like sum up what that vision might be as far as, you know, you, you've gone from farmer's market table to where you are now. And when you say, you know, laser focus on that vision, what does that look like? So I look to the matriarchs and patriarchs of impact driven food that have come before me and I'm really inspired by them. Um, you know, obviously all of us admire what Patagonia has done over their many decades of business and they are getting into the food space now. And I'm just paying such close attention to how, they're curating the foods that they bring into their Patagonia provisions wing. And that's in alignment with that. That's how I envision Made with Local continuing to grow is bringing um, sustainability and transparency to like all parts of the grocery store. I think like if we completely did the big, huge, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals, like what would a Made with Local lunch look like? What would Made with Local, uh, you know, on, in a beverage feel and, and be like, you know, we really can transpose the mission and the values and the practices that we have, you know, at work every day here at Made With Local across every di different eating and drinking experience that someone holds through the course of the day. So um, that would be the, the big, huge idea that I can envision us reaching someday. Shaina, you probably don't realize and no don't even notice how naturally you uh, say we instead of I. <laughs> yeah. And I think that tells a lot about the kind of enterprise you are part of. How would you, you know, just picking up the thread from where Matt left, how do you visualize those hopes and dreams of, of this probably incredible group that you work with? Uh, and in concrete terms, in next three to five years, uh, where do you see uh, Make With Local? Tell us a little bit of how you navigate the space while keeping the laser sharp focus on your future. Mm. So you mentioned uh, a little bit about how I always mentioned the we and Made with Local, and we really are um, a group of super, super incredible humans. And I am so grateful for every single person who's you know put their trust and their professional journey in the hands of Made with Local. We have the most incredible team, and I think quite literally, we would not be where we are without every single person coming on board. We're, like I mentioned earlier, about 14 folks. And 
you know, we've never actually had anybody leave the company. Like in the history of Made with Local, nobody's ever quit, uh, which I hope is a testament to the culture um, and the values that we're working to to build, you know, collaboratively as we figure this out. Um, I will say that was one thing in our growth journey that always scared me was the idea of, of growing a team because like prior to me with local, I had never even been like a manager in a job before. Like I'm not a, a managerial human by nature. Um, and the idea of that really intimidated me. Right. But I think, you know, we've, we've built pretty slowly for many years and then more recently, quite quickly with having built a facility and with our team there. And I don't take it lightly ever that folks are choosing to come and spend their their careers with us. And I hope that, you know, our commitment to making sure that folks are paid really well, that they have benefits, that there's like a wellness spending account, that they have, you know, a, a positive work culture. Those are things that, you know, we're actively working at all the time because it's not just a passive thing like set it and forget it. It's it's a it's an important, really important part of building an amazing team and then keeping them with you. And um, three to five year focus, what would you say? The three to five year focus for us is continuing to double down on, I'd say, the magic that we've been creating here in Canada and then taking a pretty strategic approach on how we welcome Made With Local into other countries, likely first the U.S. Um, it's it's funny growing a brand that's called Made With Local. <laughs> Um, and it's something that I've been, you know, questioned and challenged on so many times and people questioned me and challenged me about that when we were trying to sell outside of Halifax. And then when we were selling outside of Nova Scotia, and then when we sell outside of the Maritimes, like at every new region that we've grown, um, into somebody said, well, you're made with local. How, why do you think anybody in British Columbia is going to care about you, about what you're doing? And the fact of the matter is they really care. Uh, and that's one of our, you know, most selling regions. So I think, you know, the, the journey for us is absolutely continuing to expand and meet people anywhere they are who are looking for sustainable, transparent, and ethically sourced foods. And I think that that, you know, traverses borders and is something we're only going to see consumers demanding more and more of in the next three to five years. Um, looking back in the journey of, of last 10, 12 years, what kind of lessons or reflections you have in terms of policy environment? What conclusions or recommendations can we draw from your personal experience? If you were to be speaking to policymakers, what messages would like to give? So some of the most more painful red tape that we've had to navigate at Made With Local is a bit more within the private sector, I would say, than the public sector. I think, you know, silly things like um, funding applications for different levels of the public sector and those sort of things always feel like archaic and arduous, I would say, as like a, a smaller business. Those things can feel really heavy um, and take up a lot of bandwidth that you could otherwise be spending on growing your company. That's more of a nuisance than like a huge policy shift. But I have a couple of different answers to this. I would say in, when in dealing with the private service industry, like, you know, grocery stores, there's lots of retailers out there that are, you know, making rules and doing things to smaller brands that would never fly in any other industry and are actually like fairly predatory and damaging. And I just think that there potentially should be some 
you know, inquiry around or examination of is probably a better word of some of these policies, um, especially as they pertain to homegrown brands, you know, and ones that are looking to make an impact, you know, at the small and medium scale. Outside of just the context of my company, but more on a macro level around, um, you know, local food policy, like I'm always going to be saying that there needs to be more support for small scale farmers to be able to understand how you can even run a small farm profitably or even at a break even level, because there are so many farmers across our region who are bowing out of the game right now because like the math just doesn't math. Right. So understanding and I don't I'm not a policymaker nor do I have the answers on what that really looks like but if it's wage subsidization if it is you know other other economic mechanisms to support essentially what we're looking to do is like create food sovereignty in our region one thing that a lot of people I feel like are taking for granted right now and don't even think about on a day-to-day basis is the impact that climate change in the next de- many decades is going to have on like us being able to just access the same amount of food that we're so conditioned to in a grocery store period, right? Like we're kind of living in the golden age right now of choice at the grocery stores, not to say it's not costing us an absolute arm and a leg, but when it comes to the literal variety of things that we have access to at the grocery store, like it's only going to be reduced over time. And I think that it would be really smart for our provincial and federal governments to f- start focusing on building food sovereignty within different regions in Canada on the basics, on produce, on grains, on, you know, the things that people really are going to, or, and, and should be buying domestically. Again, I don't have any clear vision of exactly how that plays out, but I just know that we're not paying enough attention to it at the governmental level. Shana, for a second, you sounded more like activist than entrepreneur. But more, <laughs> more, but more right. power to you. <laughs> I have a funny story of um, my team. I have resisted for years um, listing our products on on Amazon because I think that it's caused a lot more troubles and and you know pain in our capitalist lifestyles than than it's you know than it's helped in, in most places. But fine, I think the the word made it to our fulfillment team down at our bakery that, you know, Sheena finally let uh, Andrew, my husband, list us on Amazon. And Leah, who's one of our amazing team members, was like, what? Couldn't believe it. She's like, Sheena is the most anti-capitalistic CEO I've ever known. And I can't believe she finally let us do this. Anyway, so I had a good, I like wear that as like a badge of honor. I'm like, yes, that's right. (laughs) I fully identify as that because the thing that I've navigated in this business is the understanding that when you build a business is kind of like an impact machine, you know, as it grows, as does the the positive ripple effect expands out in the world. Again, another good example of that being like the Patagonias of the world, right? The more market share Patagonia gobbles up in food or clothing, you know, it's, it's better for the planet. Um, so anyway, that's my little, my little tangent on that, but I'll, I'll also wear that as a badge of honor, uh, Anoush. <laughs> and there's a passion that comes through in what you said. Thank you. Always looking to the future. In fact, I'm now crossing off the uh, soapbox question mark that I have in my notes to be like, (laughs) is there any soapbox you'd like to stand on? Um, But Sheena, you mentioned everything from your degree uh, to working uh, with farm works to working with multiple local firms to to, uh, being able to provide local products. Um, And you're kind of alluding to the impact uh, long-term from an environmental perspective of things like regenerative agriculture. Mm. 
beyond um, you know provincial bureaucratic policy changes, have you inst- instituted anything within your organization to focus or measure climate change impact, um, being able to support organizations, being able to potentially help invest in some of your local producers that are experiencing some traumatic weather, uh, for the, one for the ages here, hopefully in 2023? Mm, yeah. So in terms of measurement, that's a big component of B Corp certification is the quantification of your impact, right? So that is a process that we've been through now twice. We've been B Corp certified now twice and have really been able to dig deeper into, you know, beyond the storytelling, what are we doing in terms of dollars and cents? And I, I will say one thing that I'm really eager to take on in the next year or so is more of like a life cycle analysis uh, and understand more about the carbon implications of the way that we run our business. Um, but I will say that in in that shift that we made about a year ago, taking two decentralized bakeries that were kind of shipping all across Canada in a bit of a, I won't say haphazard, but in a disorganized kind of way, honestly, and which led to that waste that I, I mentioned earlier, now running such a tight ship, uh, you know, we our new manufacturing line that we re- recently purchased is literally zero waste. Like if a bar comes out the end of it, that looks a little bit funny. We just put it back in the, the beginning and it comes back out, you know, in a usable format. So we were really tight to the amount of physical waste we create. And also in terms of, you know, the shipping and freight operations at Made With Local, everything's coming from one centralized bakery. It's going to centralized warehouses for the most part. And that is, is absolutely taking a, you know, not only having a huge impact on the costs of our, the freight that we have in this massive country of ours, but also of course on our carbon footprint. Um, But getting, getting that dialed in with the project is something that I'm I'm talking to a couple of different partners right now who run those type of programs and projects. Um, And I'm really keen to, to dig our teeth into that. That's a nice big step. I love that for so many reasons, because when you're working in the B2C world as you are, there's so many things that have to come into play uh, just from the re- regular day-to-day operations, let alone throw on top of that impact measurement, throw on top of that B Corp certification. From a regular day-to-day activities perspective, and this is just out of curiosity, how have you managed to be able to make yourself as accessible as possible to consumers as we've experienced the type of inflation that we've looked at over the course of the last 12 to 18 months? Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's been top of mind. It probably eats into your margins. Uh, like how, how does that how does that impact you as an organization? Yeah, it's definitely been uh, a doozy. One thing that I will say proudly, I guess, is that we've in front from a retail perspective. So the the business that we do with all the grocery stores that we work with across Canada, we've never changed our prices. We've never put our prices up um, to them. We've been able to scale the business in a way that is just continually more cost efficient and 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 getting better and better gross margins on our brand always. So we've never raised our prices, but that doesn't mean that our shelf price hasn't gone up, um, which has been a really hard pill to swallow because it means that you know that that price hike for the consumer is actually not resulting in us being able to, you know, utilize that any of that extra money <laughs> um, for growing our business or what have you. So that's, that's been really tricky, but I will say, you know, the idea of somebody like a Costco and a made with local might seem sort of counterintuitive, but they've actually been amazing partners and we've been able to launch some larger format size offerings with Costco, uh, like a 14 pack. That's a really, uh, really competitive price. Um, so that's been able to help us with an accessibility uh, component through the course of, of these past couple of years when grocery store prices have just been 
through the roof. So that's kind of where we're at. And, and thinking a lot too about direct consumer. So retail, again, is historically, you know, 80 to 90% of our revenues. But in the last, you know, six months, we're really starting to prioritize direct consumer where we, where we can, um, you know, offer the best possible pricing. We're delivering to people's homes. So that component of accessibility is really positive. And then, um, you know, being able to to nurture that relationship with the consumer where that trust is built and they know that we they can count on us for offering them a really beautiful product um, at the best possible price. The way that you frame that as the perpetual optimist that you are um, self-admittedly um, <laughs> in also recognizing that price hikes felt by consumers are not positively impacting your organization is something that I can only imagine is a tough pill to swallow in that situation. I feel like perhaps Justin Trudeau and his crew are calling some uh, some some grocers to uh, to account in Ottawa in the next uh, next couple of weeks from what I understand. So maybe this podcast will make it to them, who knows, but that's a really really important piece of information. I really appreciate that, Sheena. Um, last question then I'll throw it over to you Anuj. You know, you mentioned providing advice um, something you love to do to upcoming entrepreneurs, upcoming social entrepreneurs, you know, standing by your gut. You mentioned some advice. If you were to give one piece of advice for anyone, an organization or an individual looking to make a shift towards um, a, a more social impact, socially conscious um, business model impact, what would that piece of advice be? My advice would be that you don't have to do it all at once. Pick some digestible nuggets that you can shift on a short, uh, you know, on the short term and the medium term, and then have those big, hairy, audacious goals for the long term. Because, you know, as we've kind of touched on here already, you know, running a business period is an astronomical amount of work, right? We have so many hats that we have to wear. There are so many plates that are being spun. And the idea of like incremental projects to increase your sustainability and impact can feel just like overwhelming and too much. But I would just say like literally start start small, start picking away things like, is it, you know, packaging that you can source from closer to home? Just thinking about all the little touch points and all the things that you spend the your money on in your business, all of your expenses and how potentially you can be working with partners or vendors that have more of that values alignment for you. And it can just be one at a time, set a little goal of, of tackling one small thing, you know, per quarter or even a couple times per year. And I think that'll help you kind of build the confidence and momentum to take things to the next level. Thank you, Sheena. As we keep hearing, um, social enterprise is a journey, not a destination. And what an example of that just now. You have shared with us a very wide ranging aspects of how you run that enterprise. And full disclosure, as co-board member of Just Good Business, we have tried to grill you as much as we have grilled others. Thank you, thank you for being on the show and, and hopefully I uh, will continue to spread this word of how does one run intentionally an enterprise that's socially conscious and creating social impact, environmental impact. Thank you so much. Yvonne Schwinard, founder of Patagonia, has an incredible story. Sheena references Patagonia in this episode, and I'd like to emphasize and strongly suggest his book, Let My People Go Surfing, the education of a reluctant businessman. Special shout out to Dorothy Spence, Mark Sainonge, and Kaylee Hake for putting it on my radar. Made with Local has lots of parallel in their story. As we heard, while growing up, Sheena was more of an activist and never really imagined herself as an entrepreneur. 
Her activism comes through in how she approaches her entrepreneurship. We believe a social entrepreneur does require a dash of activism, doesn't it? I think it does. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast. <laughs>